everyone. Welcome to the Real Belief Podcast, a podcast exploring the wonders of religion through the lens of cinema. My name is Xavier, and I am back, back with a vengeance. And I'm here with my good friend and co-host, Archie. Hello, my friend. I'm not sure if you can call what we watched this week cinema, but we'll we'll get to that. I know. That's why. That's why I said we're back with a vengeance. The triumphant return of the best movie that we've seen yeah. on this. Uh, on this series so it far. might unironically be the highest grossing movie we've seen on this show so far i'm not sure 100 percent. yeah get us can you give us a little bit of the detail the information the yeah, statistics? So this week we watched the 2014 release god's not dead which had a budget of two million dollars and grossed a whopping 64.7 million dollars so that made a <laughs> bonkers return on its investment so it's no surprise that they gave it uh, three sequels. Now the newest one coming out just last year, I believe. So uh, it's got a Rotten Tomatoes score of 12% and a Metacritic score of 16 out of 100. So that is not a positive critic score. I meant to get the audience score, but I forgot to do that because I'm irresponsible. But I imagine significantly higher. No, it's fine. Um. I, I feel like I'd imagine not. You should look I that up in the meantime because I feel like this this wasn't. I don't I don't know. I imagine this was wouldn't be well re- received. I think you're underestimating um, the power but, of propaganda, my friend. I my wife was talking to me like I, I guess she's seen this mm-hmm. movie before. I, I was watching it for the first time, and she was telling me that when this movie came out, she got one of the text messages, hmm. like. When it was fresh in theaters, which I think uh, is a over bit under fifty percent or audience score. What do you think? Yeah, what over do I under fifty percent. I don't know what over under. Do means. you think it's over or under fifty percent? It's pretty oh, straightforward. It was a question. <laughs> I thought that was a statement. Um, probably under. Uh, no, over. Uh, over under seventy five percent. Um, under, no, exactly seventy five percent. Oh wow, that's pretty. That's yeah, pretty crazy. Uh, average three point nine is the average ratings out of twenty five thousand audience reviews. So quite positive, pretty decent audience scores. I mean, it ran in theaters for apparently forty weeks, so that usually means a movie's doing good. Because looking at it, its opening weekend was pretty poor, and then it just started steamrolling, kind of like um, what's that other movie kind of recently that did that? I can't think of it off the top of my head. Oh, uh, The Greatest Showman. That movie did really bad, like, its first three weekends, but then it just kept steamrolling in. So it ended up running in theaters for, like, seven months or something like that because it just kept making money. I mean, what do you expect? It's The Greatest it Show. The greatest show. And Hugh Jackman is The Greatest Showman. Um, so for those who haven't seen God's Not Dead, I'll give you a brief summary of the the plot synopsis. A college philosophy professor, Mr. Radisson, uh, is challenged by his new student, Josh, who believes God exists. Yeah, that's basically that's basically yeah, all it pretty is. Pretty much. Um, it's starring Dean Kane, so, Kevin Sorbo, um, and then a bunch of nobodies. Uh, a guy from Duck Dynasty, <laughs> and then I, what I assume is an actual Christian musician group because their acting wasn't good. So I assume they're in here because they're actual musicians. 
I know you've been highly anticipating this film for a while. I think you've while. been anticipating me talking about this film more than anything. <laughs> yeah, I have been. I think we were kind of on the same page going into this film. Except I like, already seen it. <clears throat> yeah, somehow you for you've school, seen this not for me. pleasure. Just get that out. <laughs> get that out right up front. Um, <laughs> I this isn't. I don't really like these. Like, I, if I'm being honest, I think this is probably one of the um, first gospely films that I've mm-hmm. watched. I don't. I don't particularly enjoy these films. I guess um, the nativity story. Well, what the nativ- I feel like that's more historical, or it could be. I would say for it his, has to be. Uh, it's historicity. I would say it's a gospel because it is telling a story from the Bible. Um, but it's not preaching the same way that this is, you know, like this is it's like not preaching the same way, but it's still definitely preaching because it's not telling like an objective fact of history. It's telling a biblical story. And I think that would be the difference. OK, I mean, I to fair, silence fair. wasn't telling an actual history story either, but it's not like focused on a story from the Bible, you know, same thing where if it was like a story from the Torah right. or a story from the Quran or something like that would be a. A gospel film, because it is not telling a story from history is telling specifically this this religious story. I'd argue that this is like a specific type of gospel film that I haven't seen before. I it's, guess that's uh, what I'm going with. Like Christian nationalist propaganda. A, like a bad that's one. A, but <laughs> but it's very propaganda um, it feels like. Like it it feels like making a movie with a story is priority C. And then priorities A, A and B are both like, like, get a message out there, and it's that's backwards. A good movie that tells a message, the priority should be the story, and the message should come through the story. And this sort of feels like the exact opposite. So I am going to get into the nitty gritty in a moment, but first off, I want to hear your opinion. What was your favorite part about? The uh, movie? I like when so we're gonna go full spoilers. I like when Professor Radisson dies, just because it's so like over the top and soap opera melodramatic he gets hit by a car and flies like it looks like 15 feet in the air straight at the camera as it's raining and there just happens to be a priest there who who converts him to christianity right before he dies and and then another priest says it's a happy thing that happened here and you're like okay the guy's body is still there warm like i get (laughs) the message the guy's body's not cold yet give it a few minutes at least dude yeah, I mean it's borderline uncomfortable. Oh, very much so. It feels not, not okay. Okay, maybe not borderline. Like, yeah, because Reverend Dave's kind of just like in his face, and he's like, Reverend Dave should have stopped when the guy said no the first time. Like, if a guy's dying and you're like, <laughs> do you want to convert to Jesus before you die so you don't rot in hell, and the guy tells you no, maybe just stop. Don't don't push. It's not the time for it. <laughs> I get it worked out in this scenario, but that's because it was written to. Like that would if somebody tells yeah. you no as they're dying, maybe don't push them there. Maybe just let them die, not being force fed your religion. You see, like the professor professing that he's a Christian, and then Reverend Dave kind of just like puts his hand on his mouth and his nose, and he's like, "Good, Good. now rest. Now you can rest. Now rest eternally." <laughs> you'll be happy now also they're they're making fun of the guy as he's dying it cuts back to the concert 
which somehow is apparently just a concert for the college, I guess, despite earlier in the movie that making it seem like being a Christian on that campus was increased, was incredibly rare. And then there's a concert that fills out a massive stadium with like tens of thousands of people there watching a, a Christian concert and spreading the good word. And during that, the guy from Duck Dynasty comes on and starts making fun of the professor as it cuts back to the professor dying. You're like, that's tasteless. <laughs> like, what the hell? So yeah, what was, what was your favorite bit? Or a bit you liked, I guess. Favorite might be a harsh word. Or a too strong word. <laughs> um, I... I don't know. I... Like, I, I'm trying to think, because obviously there were, like, ironic reasons, like, that I... Oh, I mean, that was the same with Dune 9. Mine wasn't serious. The guy's death is yeah. poorly executed in every way, but that's why it's fun. So so the ironic thing that I enjoyed, I liked how, um, when the 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 chick tells her boyfriend that she has cancer, he's like, well, it's been a good run. It's been a good run. Oh, no, that's not what this first. At first, he's like, you couldn't have waited until tomorrow? Because, <laughs> like, he just told her good news, and he's like, wow, way to undercut my news. Yeah. And she's like, yeah, how could you say that? Yeah. I'm I might um, die. And he's like, not my problem anymore. Bye. I I thought the like I mean, I guess a part that I liked, I thought the dialogue between her and the the actual famous person was kind of funny. The the Duck Dynasty guy? Yeah. Where she's like, "Why do you murder maim ducks?" And he's like, "I don't I don't maim them. If I hit them, I kill them and I eat them." <laughs> yeah like, i thought that was funny point. but other than that yeah yeah um so i sort of yeah had, didn't didn't oops sorry oh go ahead okay i was gonna say that's what i had three angles i wanted to approach this movie from i'm not sure if you had a certain way you wanted to tackle talking about this movie or not no i know you've been excited for this movie so please take the lead all right so the kind of three angles i wanted to tackle this from um the one i'm going to say for last is my like pseudo conspiracy theory about this movie and movies of its type and the other two i want to touch on and you can decide what you want to handle first is the actual filmmaking of this film and the film's complete misunderstanding of the basic philosophy it is apparently trying to talk about um let's go with the filmmaking aspect the filmmaking aspect all right so this film is hot garbage like made hot garbage like the cinematography the lighting the editing a lot of the acting it's just not good i would you agree with that Mm -hmm. yeah like it looks like a soap opera a lot like the very flat like brightly lit sort of vibe going to it um yeah am i am i wrong in saying that it has a good concept like i don't know i like the idea i mean i just like I like the idea of debates. Yes, so that's being put into film. That's part of what I want to get into in my idea, in my my conversation with the filmmaking. But just strictly from a technical point, you think that's probably because the film has a low budget. Like two million dollars isn't a great budget. It's a pretty low budget in terms of modern filmmaking. Um, so this came out in twenty fourteen. I'm gonna list off a couple other twenty fourteen film releases and their budgets, and you can tell me if relative to the budget, um. This makes sense why this film looks so bad. Uh, Whiplash also came out in 2014. And that had a budget of 3.3 million. So that is 1.3 million more dollars. However, it also had two big name actors that this movie doesn't have. 
Yeah, um, and I mean, Whiplash, you know, is one of my like favorite movies. Yeah, and that movie looks good. <laughs> like, yeah, it looks very good. Another is I don't know if you've seen this movie, but it's a movie called Frank. It's a independent comedy from the same year, 2014. That one had a budget of a million dollars, and it looks a lot better. Another example is Locke had the same budget of two million. Uh, also came out in 2014. That one gets around it. So that movie, it all takes place in one car. And it's Tom Hardy, like, basically ranting at the camera for two hours. Or, sorry, <laughs> an hour and a half. But, again, it had a $2 million budget. I assume a large chunk of that probably had to go to Tom Hardy. So they made a way better looking film for the same amount of money. And the last one I talk about is The the Babadook. Have you seen that one? The, the horror movie? Yeah, I have. Yeah, that movie costs the exact same amount. And looks really 50 times better. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So like the budget is not the reason this movie looks bad. And I think Mm -hmm. the problem is either, like I said earlier, they sort of prioritized preaching before the movie. Like this movie is a sermon first and a movie second, it feels like. Um, And it sort of seems like they just don't understand the basic concepts of film language. Like. Did you notice some of the cuts felt really awkward, like during the editing? And maybe if you were to point them okay, out. Okay, so one example I had at the top of is my head. there was a scene where the pastor is having a, um, sorry, not the pastor, the the professor, sorry, is having a dinner party, and it's night at his dinner party. But it keeps cutting back to other characters who are having a storyline at daytime. Now, normally when you cut between two stories like that and the rest of the movie sort of runs simultaneously, the implication is that these scenes are happening at roughly the same time. But it cuts between night and day, like between these scenes for like 10 minutes. It just keeps cutting between night and day shots. And you're like, what? Just do one and then the other if they're in completely different times of day. Like that's not (laughs) that doesn't make sense. And other times it's just like some of the cuts are really abrupt. Like a scene will just sort of end with like a, a hard cut to like, now all of a sudden this lady's dying of cancer in the hospital. And now you're back to this other thing. And you're just like, there wasn't an adequate like end to the scene. It just sort of, sort of harsh cuts. And it's just like, you can like, I get why movies like this are made. Um, although this movie in particular, I don't know who the audience is. Like, what would you say yeah. is the intended audience? Um, Probably people who are already religious, honestly. But like, it, yeah. it seems like, a, yeah, it doesn't seem like it's definitely not trying to like reach out to like, like, I couldn't imagine this. <laughs> Obviously, this movie wouldn't the, provoke you. No, because it seems to hate atheists and all atheists are bad people, according to this. Movie. Yeah, they're, they're all depicted. Yeah, they're pretty they're awful. Horrible. Um, but at the same time, like, what does this film offer? Like its basic lesson is stand up for God, no matter what, but that's a, that's a thing that a Christian should already know. So I'm like, I don't know if the aim is to blame it like non-believers, but you're not going to win them over. So I think that's, this movie sort of doesn't necessarily have a, a good target. I feel like it's very self-congratulatory. Definitely. I will 100% um, agree. Yeah. I mean, so for me, if I were to rewrite this film completely and have like the same kind of concept, mm-hmm. I would focus on like the basic like theology and philosophy apps, uh, uh, 
aspects and not so much so on like the C and D storylines. I would say and cut out all those side stories. They don't add to the film. They just add to the runtime. <laughs> yeah. You can maybe um, add the B story with the professor's girlfriend because that is related to the main plot. But all the other ones are just tangentially related. Right. But uh, filmmaking wise, I I don't think I particularly noticed the cuts or the like I felt I knew something was off. I don't know if I could put my finger on it because it wasn't something that I was really paying attention to. I was kind of just like blown away at at the, the silliness of everything. So another thing is when you're cutting, you know, generally you cut between like establishing shots, wide shots cowboy shots close-ups depending on like the flow of the conversation stuff like that like ideally a good film conversation you could mute the conversation like not hear any of the dialogue and still have a general idea of like what is happening between the two characters um, right like facial expressions like not even that just off the cat how the camera cuts you know if it's establishing like wide angle shot the characters aren't very close they're distant maybe if it starts getting to a close-ups of just the two of them in frame you can sort of see like, oh, maybe the characters are getting closer and then it cuts back to a wide cut, like after a character says something awkward that sort of pushes them apart. So if you I if see. you just watch that saying, scene yeah. with the audio off, you're like, OK, they're getting to know each other. The camera's getting closer, more more close cuts. Maybe it's a slow zoom. And then it jumps back to the establishing shot and you're like, OK, well, now they're distant again. And this film, it feels like they only really use like shot reverse shot for conversations. It's shot of mm-hmm. character one shot of character B, like just back and forth without any sort of like dynamic action between the, sh- the cuts or anything that like sort of adds to the the flow of the scene as much as it is just getting it done like it's a commercial or something where you're just getting the shots you need you're not like putting any thought into why you are using those shots or how you should be using the shots in any sort of artistic way and that's again not a budget thing because whiplash does that and again that movie did cost a million dollars more which is significant but it also had a cast that would have cost significantly more so out of pure specula- speculation, I probably would assume that for a movie like this, a lot of the budget would go to the marketing. So generally, when you say a film has a $2 million um, budget, that is generally just for the film itself. Um, oh, interesting. Marketing, so marketing's not typically marketing's, included. Yeah, marketing's usually not included in a film's listed budget. And the general rule of thumb is budget equal or... Uh, Marketing equals budget. So if a film has a $2 million budget, you can probably assume they spent $2 million advertising as well. That's not strictly true. It's just sort of a general rule of thumb. Lower budget movies tend to have less of a one-to-one ratio. So it might be it costs $2 million to make and they spend a $1 million advertising it or something like that. Um, Because generally the people that advertise it aren't the people that make the movie. It's like the production company will make the movie and then they will sell the rights to a distributor and the distributor will pay for the marketing. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. So this was, I think, pub like produced by Pure Flix, but it wasn't Pure Flix that distributed the film. I don't believe it was another company, but I can't remember who. Oh, it was Pure or Pure Flix and Freestyle Releasing worked together to to publish it. So Freestyle Releasing would have pitched in for the uh, pitched in for the marketing as well. How uh, how quickly do you think this movie was shot? Um. <sighs> Honestly, I would you could have shot this movie given I'm guessing they didn't do more than two takes for most shots because of how, again, like there wasn't any sort of like dynamic camera angles or like multiple. Um, you know how typically in, a, in, a, in any scene, you'll see like 
one to two angles on top of the regular close-ups and this sort of didn't seem to have any of that so that cuts out mm-hmm. a lot of time i imagine they probably could have made this in two weeks maybe you want to know the answer uh is it one week it's 20 days oh. so two weeks was closer but you're in the, yeah, in the basically three weeks yeah, yeah i mean that's actually kind not of... wild a lot of films you a lot of big films probably get made in three to six weeks it just depends on how many especially a film like this which basically has two locations usually what makes takes a film take longer is there's a lot of locations and a lot of like costume changes and stuff like that so they have to like Mm. plan out the days where this is the day we're on this location this is the day we're on this location with this actor this is the day we're on this location with this actor and this outfit type of thing whereas a film like this where the outfits seem to be just whatever you know yeah that's what brings me to another point so very early on when he's like, I guess, registering for class or whatever, and they're like, the guy who's registering notices his cross necklace, and they put a big emphasis on his cross necklace, and he's like, mm-hmm. you might want to change, uh, change professors, and you're not have an easy time with that guy as a as a believer or whatever he says it, and he's like, no, nah, I'll do it. He never wears that again. I think until the concert, <laughs> he doesn't wear it during any of the classroom scenes. And it's like if you put that much focus on it early in the film, it should have been in the rest of the film a bit more he should have been wearing it in class and maybe instead of him refusing to write the paper what brings about the professor's rant about god is seeing the necklace that would have been a better right. way to establish that just from a creative maybe filmmaking perspective maybe the guy uh talked talked him out of it he was like oh maybe i should uh take this off then but then he never wears it once he decides to defend god yeah. he would have put it back on you'd think but no he doesn't it just like well, why'd you make a big deal out of it Maybe uh, Shane Hop- Harper lost it. Part of my English. Shane Harper? Yeah, isn't that? I think that's the actor's name. Oh, actor. I don't know. I was just thinking of the character who's Josh Josh Wheaton. <laughs> I have to keep not saying Josh Wheaton. It's very similar. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a good point. That's funny because I I was I feel like I was specifically looking for his necklace during like the first ca- the first classroom scene, and he's not wearing it. It's like, well, why'd you point it out? <laughs> Do you have any other um, film-related um, things that you wanted to address? I mean, there's, like, bad CGI, but again, that's a product of the budget. Like, did you notice when the the pastor picks up his friend, the missionary, and there's, like, a really poorly done CGI plane landing? <laughs> yes. It's really funny. That's not... that I don't dock the film for that you know it's hard to get airport shots done especially with the audience stuff so the fact that they cgi'd it's like whatever it just looks funny and it's worth pointing out yeah um yeah i wonder why for like like they could have just opted out of not having it at all yeah they could have just had him already in the car driving away or something (laughs) right like there's ways to work around it but no i mean it's it's not the the biggest offense in the world you know what was the second thing that you wanted to bring to the table? Oh, just the whole film's depiction of philosophy or understanding of philosophy, because it doesn't make any sense. The professor is a bad philosopher and bad philosophy teacher. And like Josh's arguments aren't really that strong and neither are the professors. And the film just doesn't understand philosophy. Yeah. And I think that's what kind of bummed me out the most about the film. Mm-hmm. Um I don't like when these 
I don't like the idea of this film. Like, if it's so self-congratulatory, you think that it'd have better bombs. Like, this is the big yeah, boom gotcha exactly. moment, like slam dunk on the yeah. professor, but it doesn't really have that. The big, the big boom gotcha moment was really like the kid telling the professor, like, how can you hate something that doesn't exist? Mm-hmm. And I have a counterpoint Which, to that argument. Yeah, go. I'm sure you have counterpoints for every one of his. Uh, um, I hate the characters in this movie, and none of them are real. <laughs> are they real because i hate them i guess so by his logic damn like yeah that's true fiction exists you can hate fictional characters like that's a very so, poor argument. and that's the slam I like, dunk i like um defending the faith obviously mm-hmm. it's it's something that yeah. i just enjoy like just discussing and just like keeping an open mind about mm-hmm. um i just was really bummed out by every one of the points that the main character brought to the table. Mm-hmm. Especially, I, I think, honestly, you have you can't defend why a Christian God is real based off of, oh, because the Bible says ABC. Mm-hmm. Like, that literally does not mean anything to an atheist. Because, uh, you know, like the Book of Mormon would say the same thing, yeah. or the, uh, the Quran would say the same thing. Literally any religious book would say the exact same thing. So I was kind of Mm -hmm. annoyed that that was one of the arguments. I think in particular, the let there be light uh, uh, thing. Correct. Like uh, that argument's weak for a couple reasons. So light isn't the first command God gives, is it? He makes the primordial earth before he makes light, right? Um, Like it's he makes a barren earth and then he makes light. Yeah, probably. I don't know, actually, okay. at the top of my so, head. So if I'm correct, because I might be wrong, in which case people correct me. If God makes the earth and then says, let there be light, that undermines Josh's entire point. His point is all things came into being in an instant, in a fraction of a second when God said, let there be light. But if the Bible says God first made earth and then did that, that undermines that whole argument because there was already something there when, according to Josh's own argument, there should have been nothing. I think his second argument was uh, even weaker. I can't like, remember his the, second argument. Is it like because animals appeared or whatever all at once? So, no. So I, this was like during the second le- lecture. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of jumping around a little bit. Um, And yes, you, you're you correct. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Yeah. For a sentence. Which yeah, um, that undermines his argument. His own text that he is... Defending <laughs> undermines the argument he's trying to make. Yeah. The second argument that he, I think he brings up is... Um, I, I actually really enjoyed the moment where the professor says one thing and it just completely like destroys his entire argument and he calls him out on it. Which is it when he like says the Stephen Hawking's quote or whatever? Yeah. 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 Um. But the second argument was essentially like, oh, if you think smart people are so smart and Stephen Hawking said this, then mm-hmm. obviously every other thing he said is real. You know what I mean? I just think. Yeah. I mean, another part saints- in that second lecture is he says, like, Darwin said nature doesn't jump. But if we broke down all of the history of life on Earth, the the animal groups as we know them all would have appeared within the span of 90 seconds or whatever. 
which is true because mm-hmm. like life was monocellular for so many years before there was anything you would identify as like modern animals and stuff like that his graphic he has there shows like how animals appeared in history or whatever and it starts and like humans are one of the last ones it shows which again contradicts the bible so he's undermining his own argument again like yeah he's i'd say that's accurate if you're taking if you're taking the bible at like eye level which and you're reading it yeah. for exactly because that's what it seems to be fair that's what it seems like how he is interpreting it, everything yeah it definitely does but he then he undermines his own arguments a couple of times which the professor does as well because the professor's argument is basically well stephen hawking said it and he's a smart guy it's just an appeal to authority it's not a real argument and the only reason he does it is so that josh could have the easy gotcha moment with the philosophy is dead thing because stephen hawking is like a known hater of philosophy for whatever reason even though like philosophy is the like founding father of science or modern science right so it's like whatever <laughs> but they just needed to have like an easy way for josh to slam dunk the professor basically but they right. even fumble that because oh, he doesn't slam dunk i, re- I really enjoyed the part where I, I i'm finding a lot of moments that i enjoyed mm-hmm. I, more ironically than anything but i agree uh where like after the first um interaction between the main character and the professor, professor how he's like, like he runs up behind yeah. him and he like grabs him he's like what are you doing you're trying to make you me think, look like an idiot you think, yeah you think you're gonna make me like an idiot i'm, I'm god in that classroom yeah it's like yeah okay. funny stuff it's like the professor's gonna get himself fired like tenure can protect you from some stuff it cannot protect you from verbally assaulting a student in the hallway <laughs> <laughs> And apparently, uh, like, banging a former student, even though apparently she wasn't a former student when they started hooking up. So Yeah, she got good grades, though. Yeah. So. Also, she, like, back to her, there's a weird scene with her where she's talking and he's like, well, I didn't start dating you until you got an A on your midterm, so I knew you had a brain in there, too. And she, like, gets offended by it. And it's like, like, because he's attracted to you for more than just your good looks, that's offensive. Like, was that the, was that the point of that? I was confused what it was going for a bit. That's funny. Um, so you remember that first class where, um, well, first of all, that whole statement of the, I mean, it's where the, the title of the movie comes from. God is dead. Like, yeah, that is an incomplete quote and a like misunderstood quote by this movie and the professor. Cause I have the whole quote. And the whole quote is, God is dead, God remains dead, and we have killed him. How shall we comfort ourselves, the murderers of all murderers? What was holiest and mightiest of all that the world has yet owned has bled to death under our knives? Who will wipe the blood off of us? What water is there for us to clean ourselves? What festivals of atonement, what sacred games shall we have to invent? It is not great. Yeah. Is not that greatness of this deed too great? Oh my God, I cannot read. Is not the greatness of this deed too great for us? Must we ourselves become gods simply to appear worthy of it? Like, if you read that full quote, it doesn't seem like God is dead and we are celebrating it. Like, Nietzsche, who wrote that, is specifically saying, like, the Enlightenment, because it was written 1882. So, like, post-Enlightenment. He's saying the Enlightenment has killed God, and he doesn't necessarily view that as a good thing. He's saying, like, we have a society... Like, there's not a necessity for God to explain, like, between the lines yes yes but he's also not saying like he's not saying it in like that's a good thing we got over the need for god he says to some people that is a good thing because it gives them more freedom to free think but he says it in other ways it it, it could be bad for society because we have a society so built on christian values especially in like 
year like 1800s europe you know um mm. that like uh so he further says like when one gives up the christian faith one pulls the right to one pulls the right to christian faith one pull, i wrote that twice one pulls the right to christian morality out from under one's feet the morality is by no means self-evident christianity is a system a whole view of things thought out together by breaking one of the main concepts out of it the faith in god one breaks the whole so he's basically saying like we have a society built around this whole system and if we break the belief in god we break society like it's not some grand statement that like god is dead yay which like right the professor that's what the film kind of and per- the film portrays like, it as yeah it's like this rallying cry to like christians to rally against and it's like that's not what the quote is read the second line of the quote and it it immediately because sh- he even says like how shall we comfort ourselves as in saying like you don't comfort yourselves if you did something good you know um so sorry hold on one second oh that's okay okay we're good i was just listening i thought something was going on in the background oh. so i had to take off my headphones for a second All good yeah so basically the film oversimplifies the concept of god's not dead or god is dead and then god's not dead in encounterment and also the very basis of philosophy so i did a lot of philosophy classes in college and i know a fair amount there are no right answers in philosophy a philosophy class a philosophy section should never end with all the students saying okay i agree with this point that is correct the teaching of philosophy isn't the teaching of abject facts it is the teaching of how to think like a philosopher is how to think objectively and think for yourself and make your own arguments you know there is no correct answer so if a professor is simply saying god is dead as a statement that is missing fun he's not a philosopher like that's not (laughs) the point and also like the like one of the biggest questions in philosophy one of the biggest unanswered questions one of the most ongoing debates is is there a god that is one of the biggest philosophical questions that is debated throughout the centuries and will never stop being debated. So to skip the entire section about the existence of God is to miss the, essentially the, the basics of philosophy. Right. So it's like, so stupid. So not to, to kind of put you on the spot, but not put you on the spot. Mm -hmm. What is the most um, convincing argument for God that you've heard? Um, I mean, it's it, it, there's the ontological argument, which was not it was popularized by Rene Descartes, but it wasn't his idea originally. Um, and I have that somewhere, but I cannot find it. OK, there it is. Uh, so the other ontological argument of God is our idea of God is perfect. It is more perfect to exist than to not exist. So there has to be a God because if God is perfect and be existing is more perfect than not existing. He has to exist. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's obviously a roundabout logic, but it is a really good argument. It's an argument that Josh should have brought up in class because one, it was on the assigned reading that the professor assigned on the first day of class. One of his books is Rene Descartes discourse on methods, which includes an entire section. It's a four. If the book is broken into, I think five parts, part four, is all about proving God. And there's three statements that prove God in there. Hmm, And that is assigned by the professor who apparently doesn't want to discuss the existence of God. 
<laughs> so again, uh, that's funny. The filmmakers do not understand philosophy, and they just chose things because even there's that board he flips down, where he's like, "Who? What do all these people have in common?" That's right, they're all atheist philosophers, and like, there's three names on there: Richard Dawkins, Noam Chomsky, and Berthold Brecht. They're not philosophers. They're like, they're just not philosophers. <laughs> and then <laughs> two of the other names: uh, David Hume. He his he isn't strictly an atheist. His basic concept um, was that the the human mind is limited. So if a God does exist, there is no way for humans to comprehend a God. He's more agnostic than anything. Mm. And then there's uh, Fearbach was also on there. And he, again, he wasn't strictly atheist. His basic idea was theology is directly linked to anthology. So when one says, god is great or this is the great achievements of god it is essentially saying these are the great achievements of mankind um so again it's not strictly an atheist belief but it they just threw up names that did the bare minimum research that they could into this uh this philosophy because again if you skip if you if you have a professor that doesn't want to even mention the idea of there being a god you miss out on like so many great philosophers because there's not going to be a basics of philosophy class that doesn't teach like Thomas Aquinas, uh, Soren Kierkegaard, uh, St. Augustine, people like that, the like big important philosophers that basically their entire breadth of their work was about God in some way. And it's like, there's no right. basic philosophy class. that's going to skip those very important and crucial, uh, like theological or theist philosophers. Although those aren't technically all theists, but they all do at least discuss God, which is a very, a thing apparently the professor doesn't want to do. So I have a um, a book in front of me called. Have you? Ever, I, I think I talked about Thomas Aquinas before. Yeah, we talked about him um, on the last episode, pilgrimage or, episode. Yeah, yeah. About like relics. Um, so, so basically, he has this book called the Summa Theologiae, mm -hmm. and I have that book in front of me. Mm -hmm. And the way he organizes his books, like he'll ask a question. He'll think of the best arguments for that question, mm -hmm. and then he'll try to argue against those points. So he kind of like strong arms, uh, yeah, strong arms the argument that he's kind of going against rather than straw man. Mm -hmm. um, I want to hear your thoughts on his first objection. Mm -hmm. It seems that God does not exist, because if one of two contraries be infinite, the other would be altogether destroyed. But the word God means he is infinite goodness. If therefore God existed, there would be no evil discoverable. But there is evil in the world, therefore God does not exist. What do you think of that argument? Uh, or the, I guess not an argument, but that statement. They could say fair statement, again, depending on how you look at it. There are, I mean, I think the movie sort of vaguely handles that idea. Um, in the third lecture, I think. When they're talking about yeah. why would there be good? And it's just like, well, God says there has to be bad to understand good. And there's like a bunch of different ways you can comprehend it. There is the, the fact that like God understands that humanity needs suffering to understand true um, happiness or whatever. Or there's the argument where like God is is waiting to deal with the evil at a certain point or however you want to structure it. It's, it's a decent argument, but like, again, with as long as any argument about proving god or disproving god they're all good and bad there is no like concrete argument. perfect yeah 
Yeah, that's fair. Um, I feel like the the argument against like just the inherent evil in the world is probably like the hardest thing to defend and to speak of when you're essentially um, you have to give religious. up to answer that question fairly. You have to give up one of the the concepts of God. You have to either concede that God is not all good, or you have to concede that God is not omnipotent, or you have to concede that God is not all powerful. Because those things, if he's all three of those things, then it is inherently, there is no inherent way to justify there being evil in the world. Um, Because you'll have, you'll have to see it essentially one of those in some way to, to sort of justify. It. And that's even like the whole idea of, to truly experience happiness, there needs to be no suffering. Um, that could be extrapolated as well. Then he cannot be all good if he has to allow suffering. You know, it's one of those things where yeah, because a lot of that stuff is true. Like not strictly said in the Bible either. It's sort of like extrapolated from what is said. So basically, the uh, Lex Luthor Superman argument. Uh oh, from Batman v Superman. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I forgot about that scene. Yeah, basically. Yeah. So. I want to go back to the uh, Rene Descartes. I'm probably pronouncing his name wrong because he's a French guy and I'm not French. Um, And it's been, boy, four years since I studied philosophy and heard his name said out loud and not just on a piece of paper. (laughs) Also, my professor was Greek, so he had a Greek accent. So he was probably pronouncing it wrong, too. But um, that book that the professor assigns, Discourse on Method, it has the three statements that prove God. And I want to read off the three of them to you. Uh, well, the third one was, sorry, was that um, ontological argument, which I already gave about if God is perfect, it is more perfect to exist, whatever. His mm-hmm. other two are the mind isn't perfect. If the mind isn't perfect, how could it invent? How could it invent the perfect God? So, yeah, if humans aren't perfect, how could they have invented the perfect God? Therefore, God must exist because God is perfect. It's similar to the ontological argument, but from a different angle, essentially. Yeah. And then. His second one is basically comparing the existence of God to like a geometric proof. So we have no way to prove that there is one triangle. However, we do know that all triangles add up to 180 degrees if you count their angles. And you can essentially backwards prove God that same way. Which, right. uh, That one's not that strong. Honestly, none of them are super strong arguments. um, Because they're just, you know, I mean, they're the mind isn't perfect. How can it invent the perfect God? Well, if they didn't invent the perfect God, everyone would be a believer, you know, like. Right. I just think this movie had so much room to get into, like, interesting philosophical and theological discussions and just didn't. Yeah, I or it touched on the bare surface of them and just never got any deeper than that or sort of scratched it and then misunderstood it and and balls it all up right or the professor basically like conceded incredibly soon or Mm -hmm. um like i feel like one one of the two were stumped you know at the first there wasn't a very back and forth dialogue between no i think the third lecture was supposed to be when they're having more of a back and forth dialogue and instead josh is like what about your dead mom huh what about your dead mom huh what about your dead mom huh and the professor's like (laughs) i hate god and you're like okay which i don't like that idea like well, I'm going to rephrase. There is sort of this idea as a, if an atheist is talking to a 
specifically an evangelical Christian, not like the average Christian. But mm-hmm. if you say, I don't believe in God, their response isn't necessarily. They like they can't comprehend that you not believing in God means you just think God isn't real. It's a you must hate God or God must have done something to hurt you personally type of thing. It's never a like they never view the argument or never view the point necessarily as just there is no God in this person's mind. It is always just a this person must secretly hate God for X reason. I think this movie sort of perpetuates that idea that every atheist is actually just secretly somebody who has something against God or left God for whatever reason. Yeah, lots of, I feel like overall, just a ton of stereotypes in the movie. Mm-hmm. Not funny stereotypes either. Yeah, I mean... Well, kind of funny. Well, like, <laughs> funny in the... You made this in 2014. Like, how... Why was this okay? Yeah. Funny, not in the, this is funny. It's a... How did you think this was funny? <laughs> funny. Like, you cringe at it more than anything. It's cringe funny, not like, yeah. this is a funny thing you're doing. Because, like... We haven't touched on it at all, but there's like a Muslim character who converts to Christianity. And like that is handled incredibly poorly. Like, yeah, that's the, as far as like, as far as you can tell in film, that is the only person shown who is religious in some way besides strictly Christianity. Mm-hmm. And it's also like her dad is the only like, so Basically, she converts to Christianity. Her dad finds out and then almost beats her and chokes her to death and then kicks her out of the house. And it just sort of perpetuates <laughs> the stereotype that like Muslims are ultra domineering wife beaters. And it's like, I guarantee you there's just as many Christian kids out there who told their parents they don't believe or that told their parents they believe in something else and got the same treatment, you know? Like, yeah, I know people who told their parents that they don't believe and they didn't end well for them in the same way but in this movie it's like no that only happens to the muslim not to not to us christians we don't do that to be fair though like there was a very surprising amount of like quote-unquote not christian people at least at the start of the movie yeah but of those they all basically become christian (laughs) except for i think the drop of a hat i think except for dean kane's character that's i think going into the filmmaking so he is apparently the only Christian in this class and seemingly one of the only Christians in school is sort of the way they frame it. Cause like he goes to the pastor and he's like, the pastor's like, how many, uh, how many people are in that class? And he's like about 80. He's like, how many of them besides you, you think have ever walked into a church? And he's like, none. And it's like, <laughs> I looked this up. So in 2013, so they're like the year this movie would have been shot probably roughly 2013, 2014. Um, so in a, study done that year about 32 percent of college students self-identified as religious and another 32 percent as spiritual Hmm. and then 70 percent of those religious students said they were christian and 42 percent of those spiritual students said they were christian so no way in that classroom is josh the only one who is christian before the conversion he does like right that's just not like america is still a like as far as religion goes christianity is still the the dominant religion maybe everyone was just trying to get an a maybe but like and then they go to that concert which is apparently massive it sold out a massive stadium or whatever 
And I assume that concert was in the city. It was just a city concert. But then the the guy from Duck Dynasty comes on TV and says, one of your professors recently has said God is dead. And everyone boos. It's like, so is this just, is this a concert for the college? Is everyone here go to the college? Why? I thought no one at the college was religious. Why is there 10,000 people here now? What What is this? <laughs> yeah. Also, how did the guy from Duck Dynasty hear about that? I wasn't, I wasn't expecting to, to end the movie with the concert. Yeah, um, it's like three songs or two songs or something. Yeah, and on record, I I do not like that music. No, it's bad music. It is. Like, regardless um, of the lyrics, you could put any lyrics to that music and it would be bad. It's not because yeah. the mu- it's not because the music is preaching. It's because it's bad music. Same with this movie. This movie's not bad because it's religious. It's a bad movie that happens to be religious. But also because right. they pri- the game with the music, the music prioritizes the preaching before it prioritizes the music. And this movie prioritizes the preaching before it prioritizes being a movie. Did we get to the third point that you wanted to get come across or uh, to talk about? No. So my third one is sort of a bit bit of a broader thing and it gets worse i think in the sequels so basically my idea is and it's not very hard to to see if you if you scratch the surface just a little bit and once you get into the sequels which i'm sure we'll cover in here it gets even more obvious like this movie is basically just like right-wing christian nationalist propaganda because like the lady who's like the news lady who's like ambushing people and like apparently hates God until she doesn't or whatever. It's like, yeah, the newspaper she's writing for is specifically the new left. Like it's not an unnamed (laughs) or like uncentered thing. It is specifically the new left. So that's pitting like leftist as anti-God. Um, yeah. And then later on, like the, the professor and all the professors, of, at this school are apparently uh, atheists and, and don't like God. Um, and that sort of plays, plays into the whole stereotype of like academia. So it's like demonizing academia or academia being strictly against God type of thing. And it's just sort right. of burrowing into those little things. And we'll cover the sequels again later on. But like, oh, and even with the Duck Dynasty guy, um, they mentioned that people were offended by him praying to Jesus on the show. And it's like, I'm pretty sure no one gets offended by someone praying to Jesus on a TV show. Like, <laughs> like that's not a thing. Um, so it's just little things like that where you're like, I feel like this is going, a going a very specific way. And this is, this is going to get worse. And like, I've, so I've, for, for the record, I've seen the first three movies uh, <laughs> again for school. Um, have not, yeah, yeah. yeah, I've not seen the fourth movie that just came out last year, but I saw a trailer for that movie yesterday and it just further cemented my, my theory. So the plot for the fourth movie is apparently, um, parents getting upset that they're not teaching about God in school or that God has been taken out of schools. So they try to homeschool their kids, but then the state set threatens to to have their kids taken away for not putting them in public school. Mm. And you're just like, yeah, they don't teach about God in public school, but they don't teach to hate God either. That's sort of just not 
not there at all. That's the point. But this movie seems to make the point. The trailer at least seems to make the point that they should teach God in public school, which is like, okay, <laughs> that's yeah, like that's what Christian schools are for. Send your kids to a private Christian school if you want that. <laughs> Don't send them to public school and expect that. Christian schools aren't illegal anywhere. Just send that's them true. there. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> yeah, that's funny. It's funny that you've seen so many more of these. I mean, you've seen you've seen a lot of these movies. I didn't know you're such a fan. Again, it was for a class. <laughs> one of my film classes, there one of the sections of the class was about uh relig- like religious films. And this was one of the trilogies we handled. Um I so overall, I don't. I didn't like this film. Uh huh. I mean, I think it's, it's, just being frank, and I can't think of many good movies. I can't think of any good movies on the top of my head in this category that are decent. I feel like it's such a shame, honestly. Like it's frustrating. Mm-hmm. And- I mean, as as a religious Catholic, I'd like to see these types of movies that were done well. Yeah, exactly. Here's the thing. They could be. This movie made, what, $68 million on a $2 million budget? Just make a movie for $6 million And, like, I mean, you could keep the same budget and hire better people. Or just up the budget and hire better people if that's what you got to do. You could hire better editors. You could hire a cinematographer. You could hire a director who, like, knows basic shot composition and how to frame a movie. And this movie would instantly jump, like, three points in rating because it would be shot like a movie so script wise what would you do to i guess to fix i haven't seen the other two movies Mm -hmm. that you've seen but what would you do to fix this like these specific plot lines that turn lay out is there anything Um, that you could i don't think you can because the scripts rely way too heavily on the like christianity under attack um christian self-martyrdom stuff and I right. think if you take out that angle, you could still have an interesting discussion between a, a student and his teacher debating the re- like if God is real. And you just don't have to frame it around the professor being like this vengeful, not really atheist guy who hates God. You can just have it be, a, you know, how philosophy works, where they just have this discussion over a couple classes and it could still be done well. And it would honestly it could be done better if you remove the whole like self persecution thing that like Christian evangelicals seem to be like obsessed with. <laughs> yeah. Also make it a movie um, first and a lecture and like a, a sermon second instead of sermon first movie second. Like priorities are in the wrong spots. Yeah. About the, the film plot in particular, I had a question mm-hmm. that I don't even remember. Mm-hmm. But since you're such a big fan of these movies, I figured I'd ask you, mm-hmm. what was the plot line with? Um, I guess I don't understand the necessity for Reverend Dave outside of just getting the main character to to um, stand up for his faith. Essentially, well, he's there to to have the main character stand up for his faith. He's there to take in Aisha when she's kicked out by her abusive dad. And he's there to convert the professor before he dies. 
Oh, yeah. Okay. And I guess the whole thing you can say is God keeps not letting the car start so that he's there where he's needed. Yeah. Basically. Uh, okay. Also, that guy, um, David A.R. White is the actor's name. So do you know that meme where it's like the dude in the white T-shirt and he's walking away and then he turns to the camera. And he's like, hey, Scotty, Jesus, man, and does like the fist bump. No, I don't. You don't. All right. The viewers will know that meme. I'll uh, I'll send you that meme. It's like a real cringe thing from like some 90s or 80s, like, I guess, Christian movie or like um, like Christian, like, vi- like school videotape or something. Uh, well, right. that guy, the guy from that meme is is the pastor in this. Oh, interesting. He kind of looks like the lead guy from Nickelback. <laughs> He does. He's got that same like it's that hair and that like how do I say it nicely? The the face of a boxer. He's got a boxer's face. Oh. That seems like a compliment. Have you seen most boxers? Oh, yeah, I guess it's not a compliment. <laughs> I mean this I mean um, you got like Mike Tyson and stuff, but a lot of them have like those like you know, they they mean they look like they've been taking punches for years because they have. Right. <laughs> um I guess to um end this on do you have a favorite gospel film? I guess religious film that you've seen or um cuz obviously yeah. this is probably top 5 but probably not doesn't take the number 1 spot. Honestly, I've not seen many, so it might be this one just cuz it's like the room levels almost. Like it is you could watch this movie and like make a drinking game out of it or just like have dumb fun with friends with it. Cause it's like that poorly done, but like it's, it's not only that it's so poorly made, but thinks it's genius. Same way the room does. Like you can have a bad movie that like it tries too hard to be self-aware and it kind of like loses the, the like campiness of it. Cause camp sort of has to be unintentional to be like true mm-hmm. camp. So th- and this is like great in the same way. The room is great. Right. Um, beyond that, I don't. I've seen the first three of these. I've seen Fireproof. Um, I've seen. I can't remember the name of. Have it. you seen so many of these movies? Uh, school. Oh my gosh! We had a segment. That's on really it funny. Classes. It was like a two-month segment where we had class twice oh. a week, so we watched two movies a week. And that was wow. That's crazy. Yeah. So I think we watched six or seven of them in total. I can't remember. Um. So yeah, it was God's Not Dead, God's Not Dead 2, God's Not Dead, A Light in the Darkness for the three God's Not Deads. And then Fireproof, which is that Kirk Cameron one, um, where he's like a firefighter that masturbates too much and hates his wife or something. Um, and ab- or uh, Divorce is Evil or something is basically the plot of that movie. That movie's also bad. Um, there's one, I can't remember what it's called. It's got... It's about this like drug dealer who goes who's going to go to jail, but he doesn't somehow like the FBI are watching him ready to put him in jail. But then he falls in love with a girl at a at a like Bible bookstore mm-hmm. and starts going to church. And then he doesn't go to jail because he's a Christian. So he's a good person. And the cops let him off because he's a good person and a Christian. It's like oh. it's called like I dated a church girl or something like that. I'm in love with the church. Group? Yes. Yeah. That's I haven't seen it. I was just looking at popular Christian movies yeah. and that was on. It's on. Uh, it's got one of the cheetah girls in it. 
Oh, wow. That's exciting. Yeah, and that one's like kind of just like borderline offensive in its basic idea that like well, no one can be really a bad person if they're a Christian, despite this guy like making millions of dollars dealing drugs, but gets away with it just because he converts to Christianity. And it's like, what? <laughs> and like all of his like drug dealing friends go to jail because they don't. It's like, what? <laughs> this guy's the kingpin. So overall, what would you rate the movie? Uh, I'll give it half a star just for the camp. Like, Oh, seriously? Like a half? Yeah, like half of one star. If it wasn't yeah. enjoyably bad, like if it wasn't something you could get drunk and enjoy with your friends, it would be zero stars. But the scene with Dean Kane where he like gets mad at his girlfriend for having cancer, the philosophy teacher's death, <laughs> and like probably one other scene that I can't think of off the top of my head, probably uh Oh, it's the when like all this stuff happens with the pastor where their car doesn't work when they're trying to just go to Disney World or whatever. Um, like that, that like alone gets at the half star because that's just fun. Like it's bad, but it's it's fun bad. Yeah, I'd agree with you. I mean, I'd put it at like a star, but um, not good. Not good. And I was trying to look at uh, all the popular Christianity dramas or Christian movies. Um, I think I've seen, I guess now three of them Mm -hmm. and, um, there's only one that I thoroughly enjoy and hopefully we'll watch that that? sometime soon. Uh, the passion of the Christ. Oh yeah, Yeah. that's fair enough. Cause that one's, uh, that one does these opposite of what I'm saying. This one did, which that one is a film first and a sermon second. Right. Like, it understands basic film language. And, like, I, that's why I think something like Silence is a better way to explore. Okay, so Silence is actually... Silence is about the persecuted Christians that this movie seems to think exist in modern America. And it does it well, because <laughs> it actually tells a story and has a point to it. Like, these movies right. that aren't strictly religious, that are about religious, but that are about religions and religious people do a thousand times better at telling a compelling story about religion than these ones that are strictly trying to preach. Right. Like, I think if you show somebody who doesn't believe silence and say this or any of these other gospel crap, like, and tell them which one of these makes you sympathize for Christians more, or which one of these do you think the Christians are decent people? Or which one of these do you think the Christians are unjustly treated? You're going to say silence over the one where the guy's philosophy teacher was mean to him because he said God was real. Also, you know that how did you watch much of the credits or did you turn it off like right away? Oh, I turned it off. Okay. Did you see the the court cases that popped up? Um no. Okay, so there's a scene right at the end after the concert and it pops up saying, join the movement and text your friends now or whatever. To say God's not dead. Right after that, it pops up with a little thing that says God's not dead. The movie was inspired by the following legal cases where university students and campus ministries were condemned for their faith. And it lists like eight or nine um, examples. Mm-hmm. But like the examples aren't remotely what happened in the movie. And two, like are undermining the movie's point. So one of them was uh, a school counselor refused to work with gay students and got fired. Um, and then another one of the courts cases they talk about 
was another school counselor refused to follow the guidelines of her employment when dealing with LGBT students. So she still worked with them. She just didn't treat them very nicely. And she got fired for not doing her job. Um, and like another one was a teacher becomes angry at a student for giving a religious speech in class. The student tells the dean, the teacher is reprimanded and the student receives an A for the speech. Uh, yet the student then proceeded to sue the, sue the college anyway. And the case was thrown out and like never went through. Uh, and then two of the other cases they talk about were when public colleges, they have a policy of not giving money to religious or politically based campus groups. You know how like campuses have student groups for whatever. There's like religious ones, political ones, ones where the students just all hang out and play games or whatever, you know, those types of student groups. Um, yes. So these two colleges um, basically had policies not to give money to any religious or any politically based campus one. Um, but then a Christian group claimed discrimination and sued these two colleges, like two separate ones. And these are the cases they use to say like Christianity is under attack in our colleges. It's like none of those cases back up your argument. Yeah. That's just loosely based to say the least. But to be fair, they're just arguments. They're just like legal cases that happened to be about religion in college. Yeah, I guess it's to, I mean, to be fair, it's kind of based on oh. a true story type thing that you'd see in like Texas Chainsaw Massacre or something. Like very loosely. Yeah. No, I get yeah. that. No, I didn't like, I didn't say that far. It, yeah. The the way they word it basically is not that this is based off a true story, it's a this is the proof that religion is under attack in colleges. And it's like, no, it's not. <laughs> like, it's either everyone it's like no one's getting what the Christians want, not just the Christians. So that's not discrimination because it's anybody or the the person got fired for discriminating against other against students. Like, OK. It's uh, the bad, bad arguments. Just just don't mention those. And the movie has a stronger argument. If you mention those, you undermine your own point. And now, not to put you on the spot, but what will we be expecting for the next episode? Oh boy, I didn't think that I would be the one to make this decision. Um, um, because I feel like I kind of picked this one. Yeah, you did. Um, well, when does surprise? Hold on, Lent's Lent's going on right now, right? this all right so next week we are not next week next fortnight we are gonna watch the lent based comedy 40 days and 40 nights because it's all about lent oh perfect yeah i like uh i I liked that movie as a kid i doubt it held up because it's an early 2000s comedy but it stars josh hartnett and he is the best so he him alone will make it worth it even if the comedy aged poorly because it's a early 2000s sex comedy so (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the odds of it and actually there's some stuff in there i know for a fact uh, it didn't age poorly it just wasn't good at the time um but we'll get into that when we discuss that movie cool well thank you for watching or listening everybody yeah well actually before we go i had a, a new little segment idea i wanted to to introduce just so we can sort of connect with the audience a little bit better I figured we could sort of talk about what we've watched recently or what we plan on watching and then put the question out to the audience. What have you guys been watching recently? So we'll start with that. Uh, Have you guys watched anything good recently? Could be movies, TV shows, even if you've played a good video game, 
go ahead and uh, tweet at us or send us an email. It's uh, at realbeliefpod on Twitter or realbeliefpod at gmail.com to, uh, to send in your response. And we may read some out on the next segment. Yeah. So what have you been... Have you watched anything recently or do you plan on watching anything soon? Um, probably maybe Batman. The the Batman starring Rob Batman. and that. Yeah. yeah. And um, I'm seeing that tomorrow. I actually bought tickets yesterday, so I'm excited. I think what else? Yeah, that's really it. I don't really I don't really watch a lot of movies unless assigned, honestly. Mm-hmm. But um, well. That's one of the Fair nice enough. things about this podcast. Yeah. But I mean, outside of that, Archie uh taught me how to play Dungeons and Dragons. Sort of. I'm not <laughs> I don't understand the rules very well, but we're learning together. So us, uh both of our wives, and then our, our good friends, uh Lenny and Alicia, who will maybe one day appear on the podcast. We started all learning how to play D and D together. It's been, yeah, my wife signaling so to me not to talk about Dungeons and Dragons. Why not? It's super popular and beloved across <laughs> the world. Um, um, but yeah, that's about it for me. Um, I, there's a movie that I kind of want to see called Fatima, but that's off the podcast. I want to see how if it's good. Called what? It's on Netflix. Fatima? It's like um, mm. about the miracle of the sun. It's a really Oh, thing. okay. Yeah, you've told me about the miracle of the sun, but I didn't know there was a movie about it. Yeah. Yeah, I think it just got released um, 2020. Okay, so relatively new. So semi-recently, okay. yeah. That's cool. Um, well, I've been trying to yeah, watch all the, the Best Picture nominations for the Oscars. I've only seen like three. I've seen Dune, Licorice Pizza, and something else that I can't remember. Oh, uh, Nightmare Alley. And those were all obviously pretty good. Uh, they just added drive my car and west side story to hbo max so i'm probably gonna watch one of those tomorrow maybe before i go see the batman and other than that i watched peacemaker the whole show of that if you haven't watched that watch that it's really good james gunn is like the type of director who blends like silliness and sincerity in a way that like nobody else really can i don't think like because you know how like i've complained with the marvel movies before how they will have a sad moment and immediately undermine it with a joke. Or they'll have like a big dramatic moment and immediately undermine it with a joke. So Peacemaker and James Gunn's, I think Guardians of the Galaxy is the least guilty of this as well in terms of Marvel movies. But James Gunn has a way where he knows when to let a moment breathe and when to undercut undercut a moment with a joke and when like to blend a joke with the emotional moment. Because there's a big emotional moment in the season finale of Peacemaker that is basically the culmination of jokes that it's been making throughout the entire season but in the last episode it turns that joke into like this big heartfelt emotional moment and it works and i think james gunn's like the one director who can kind of do that in a way that oh, really? i like yeah so you should honestly you should watch peacemaker it's really good it's probably like the best thing in the dc cinematic universe or dceu yeah it's, it's, um i remember for a while people were recommending the CW DC shows, but that's not a thing anymore. No, I mean, it's not something that they people still go, actively recommend. I mean, only one I would recommend is Legends of Tomorrow. Legends of Tomorrow is great in like a, it knows what it is and it fully embraces like the, the ridiculousness of its characters and the ridiculousness of its concept where like the Flash or Arrow, they all tried to be like super self-serious and like take themselves too seriously. And I think that hurts them. Whereas Legends of Tomorrow like lets it be 
weird and wacky because it's i mean it's about c-list d-list superheroes that travel through time and eventually through dimensions so like it gets wild in the best ways yeah also doom patrol cool. another another good dc show doom patrol but that's next season's airing in a couple months but that's on hbo max and it's like unconnected to any of the universes it's just like its own standalone thing it's really good huh. and again it it's one of those other ones that like it knows how to blend heartfelt emotional moments with a bit of goofy wackiness yeah that's kind of everything well, i've watched or plan on watching i'm sure i'll maybe think of something else but well hopefully we get some responses and if they do or if you do or if they do um yeah we'll uh, we'll mention it we'll read them out in the next uh next time unless you don't want us to read it out then say i just want to let you guys know but don't read it out or read it out but don't say my name whatever you want to do just put that in the tweet or the email and we will honor those wishes yeah thank you <laughs> i'm gonna do my in- outro again thank yeah, you guys sorry. for listening um and it's good to be back and we will see you in the next episode for 40 days and 40 nights is that what it's called it is that is in fact the title and yeah thank you for watching this episode on god's not dead we'll see you eventually for god's not dead two three and four maybe we'll do the next three is one mega episode depending on how much you guys want us to suffer all goodbye bye-bye